happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Can you say amen? Is the Lord good? He's good all the time, isn't he? This morning I want to refocus us on our vision and our theme for the year. This is the year of stewardship, and so I want to refocus us on the theme of stewardship this morning as we turn our attention to the Word of God. And if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 11, beginning at verse 12. Mark, chapter 11, beginning at verse 12. And when you get there, say, Amen. Mark 11, Mark 11, verse 12. What a wonderful time in worship we had this morning, didn't we? Powerful time in the presence of the Lord as usual. Amen. Mark 11, verse 12. This is what it says. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now skipping down to verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Father, I pray this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would increase our faith. Increase our faith. Lord, in Matthew 17, the disciples asked you to do the same thing, and you said you don't need any more faith. The faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. So, Father, I pray that you would begin to give us confidence in the faith that you've given us as you've dealt to each one a measure of faith. And that we would learn how to steward it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is walking with his disciples and he's hungry in the morning. And he says to himself, I'm going to find me some figs. And he looks afar and he sees a fig tree. And he comes upon this fig tree. It had leaves. And it said he came to see if perchance he would find some fruit on this tree. And what he found was a fruitless tree. Now, of course, in the natural, it wasn't time for fruit. This tree should not have been fruitful yet. It was not yet the season for figs. But Jesus sees this fruitless tree and says, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to give an object lesson to my disciples. And so he says in the hearing of his disciples, may no one ever eat fruit from this tree again. And then he says, all right, come on, guys, let's go. And they walk away. The next morning, as they're walking with his disciples, his disciples see the tree and see that it had been withered. And they said, Lord, look, the tree that you cursed is withered from the roots. You only cursed it once. 
and it's withered from the roots. And when you cursed it, you didn't scream at it and yell at it. You didn't stand on a chair and speak in tongues over it. You didn't shake your hand on it and pour a whole bottle of oil over it. You didn't fast and pray over it. You didn't speak over it for, for, for an hour and a half. You said, may no one eat fruit from you again, and you walked away. The first aspect of the lesson that Jesus was teaching his disciples is that he has the power to curse and to kill every fruitless tree in your life. He says, this thing is fruitless, and he wanted his disciples to know that he doesn't waste his time on fruitless things. He doesn't waste his time trying to eat from fruitless trees. When Jesus comes upon something fruitless, he just kills it and goes on about his business. But he's saying to his disciples, most of you come upon something fruitless. And when you don't find any fruit, you start eating the leaves and eating the limbs and eating the bark and eating the dirt around the tree. And Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 12, or verse 11, he said, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Stop eating from that fruitless tree called darkness. Stop eating from that tree. There's no fruit on it. Stop wrestling against that tree. Stop trying to uproot it. Stop trying to dig around it and pull it out. So many of us, we've got, tree, we've got fruitless trees of darkness that have grown up in our lives. And instead of cursing it and being done with it, we're trying to dig it, dig it up. You ever try to dig up a tree? You know, you heard the story about the man who was trying to dig up the tree and he was digging and digging and digging and going deeper and deeper and everybody was laughing. And finally, see, he asked the people around, he said, why are you laughing? And they said, you see how high it is? He said, yeah. They said, that's how deep it is. You can't dig up a tree. The roots go down too deep. And so often when we recognize that there's a tree of darkness in our lives, we try to dig it up. We try to go all the way back. This goes all the way back to when I was three years old. So let me, no, this goes back to the womb. This goes, this is, this is because my parents didn't accept me when I was in utero. This goes back to an experience I had when I was four years old. This goes back to my mistreatment when I was an infant. This goes back to I had a babysitter that abused me when I was three years old. So let me go all the way back 20 years and see if I can dig up this tree. Jesus does not pull out a shovel. He doesn't try to dig it up. He just curses it and kills it where it stands. He says, I'm not going to spend years trying to deal with something that I can deal with with a word. What are you doing with the fruitless trees in your life? Are you allowing the word of the Lord to come and curse them? Or are you trying to dig them up by your own power? And the clear message is, I have the power to get rid of the fruitless trees of darkness that grow up in your life. I can speak and curse. See, the problem is we get to a point where we just learn to live with it because we just don't think God's going to do anything about it. And we know I sure can't do anything about it. So I guess maybe it's my thorn in the flesh. Maybe God's using it in my life for something. But Jesus just says, wait a minute, this thing's fruitless? You guys, did you notice this thing's fruitless? Yeah. Well, why don't we wait for fruit to grow on it? No, 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 I don't have the patience for all that. When I come looking for fruit, I expect there to be fruit. If there's no fruit, I just kill the thing and keep moving. So no one will ever eat from you again. Nobody will ever waste their time eating from you again. 
Nobody is going to waste. Nobody is going to be eating your leaves or your bark. You're, you're not going to waste the time of my people ever again. He curses it. And this is, okay, come on, let's go. Let's go. Wait, Lord, shouldn't we wait to see if your words actually worked? You know, a lot of times we go to church, we hear the word of the Lord, and we go home saying, I hope it worked. We'll see. We go to the altar to receive something or get a certain level of freedom. And afterwards, somebody asks you, are you free? I sure hope so. I'm going to give it a try this time. Maybe the word, I know he said, let there be light and there was light, but he's having a tough time speaking into my life. May no one ever eat from you again. Now watch this. The disciples, they see, and it's, it's interesting that Jesus is going to walk by. It says the disciples noticed it. Jesus didn't come back to check his own ministry to see if it worked. Did that word work? <laughs> I prayed for you yesterday. Did you get healed? You feel any better? I got to check. See, when I preached that word last Sunday, did you get free? I got to come back and check. Did my ministry work? Jesus doesn't even look. He's just walking. And the disciples, wait, 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 Lord, look at the fruit of your ministry. This thing is dead. I mean, you cursed it yesterday and it's dead today. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, of course. Yeah, what else is new? What do you think? I mean, you think I just like say stuff like that for fun? You think I was like, I'm going to step out on a limb here and say that nobody's going to eat fruit from you anymore. You know, I'm, I'm just kind of, yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking, I just got a word from the father. <laughs> He's not taking shots in the dark. When he says it is done, it is done. He says, no one will ever eat from you again. And they say, Lord, look and notice. Here's the difference. It says they notice that it had withered from the roots. This is the lesson of faith. The moment Jesus spoke to it, nothing appeared to happen. But he was not moved by the fact that nothing appeared to happen. You see, when you and I pray and believe, we're expecting the miracle to happen from the top down, but God always does it from the bottom up. It says they noticed that it withered from the roots, meaning that when Jesus said, no one will ever eat from you again, at that very moment it died at the very roots and it withered from the bottom up so that they didn't see the manifestation of it until a day later. See, you're praying for stuff to happen and thinking nothing's happening. And I'm telling you, the moment you speak, it dies at the roots. God isn't trying to dig it up from the roots. He's killing it at the roots. The minute you start speaking over your finances, God kills the problem at the roots. But you're looking at the tree and going, I still see leaves. It happened in the invisible realm. It happened in the depths. It happened under the earth. The difference was that Jesus spoke it. And in the interim between speaking and seeing was something called believing. In the interim between speaking and seeing, his activity was believing. And here's the key. The lesson of the fig tree is the stewardship of faith. 
Faith requires stewardship. Now, in a moment, he's going to say to his disciples, if you believe, remember, this is an object lesson. This is not Jesus showing off or wanting to show his disciples how much power he has. He says to his disciples, when they marvel at what he did, he says, if you believe, you'll not only do what was done to the fig tree, but you'll say to this mountain, meaning he says, I cursed a fig tree, you'll move mountains. He says, this is nothing compared to what you can do if you would start to believe. But if you would believe. In Matthew 17, when he gives the same speech about the fig tree, he says, if you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed. Remember, his disciples had asked him, increase our faith. He says, no, 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 no. If you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. It just dawned on me what Jesus meant yesterday. The Lord just gave it to me yesterday. You know, they say, I've I've read that for for years and thought, I don't even have mustard seed size faith. I mean, man, you know, Jesus said, if your faith is minuscule, you know how small a mustard seed is? Almost, you can't see it with the naked eye. It's so small. And so I'm going, Lord, I don't even have mustard seed faith. Man, how small is my faith then? You know, they say a 4.0 earthquake is as big as they get as far as intensity. 5.0, 6 6.0, 7.0, 8.0, 9.0, 10.0, 10.0, all that is is total devastation over a larger space. 4.0 is total devastation just over a small region of space. When it gets bigger, 7.0, 8.0, it just means that total devastation spreads to a larger territory. But it's still 4.0. 4.0 is as big of an earthquake as you get. Jesus is saying mustard seed faith is as big faith as you get. When we're talking about the faith that moves mountains, it's not a bigger faith. It's just a faith that is spread over a larger space, meaning you have it for a longer period of time. Any moment when you believe that's enough to move a mountain, the problem is you don't believe long enough to move it. I mean, any moment when you say, I believe that's enough. You're, you're waiting for bigger faith and God's just wanting you to have longer faith. More enduring faith. God wants you to believe and not doubt. The problem is our faith is so temporary. It breaks down under pressure. I, I, you know, I want to ask you. I, I, I'm willing to wager that the average believer in the body of Christ has about 30 second faith at best. Here's a test. You can test the level of your faith easily. If... If uh, Daniel comes to you and says, can you pray for my shoulder? I've got severe pain in my shoulder. Your faith lasts as long as you pray for his shoulder. The minute you start praying for other stuff in his life, your faith broke down. Here's what we typically do. Can you pray for my shoulder? Sure. Father, touch Daniel's shoulder. And I'm just sensing that you just want to lavish him with your love. And his sister's distressed too. Just bless his sister and his whole family. Let him know that you're with him. That, and then I quote a few scriptures, make me sound real spiritual. And even if he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, 
he will fear no evil. You are his rod and his staff that you comfort him and you are his light and his salvation. Whom shall he fear? Ooh, I sound real spiritual, don't I? But I left the shoulder request back a long time ago. My shoulder faith lasted about five seconds. The rest of the prayer was religious. I didn't actually expect anything to happen, but I thought I'm going to pray because it's the spiritual thing to do. But he said, pray for my shoulder. How much faith, how long can you pray for that shoulder? At what point, and you, and if you are honest with yourself, you feel your faith breaking down while you're praying for that shoulder. Why? Because you don't see the leaves wither. Do you feel any better? No, actually I don't. The leaves haven't withered yet, so I, man, it didn't work. I must have completely missed God. Maybe I don't know him. Maybe I don't have any anointing. Maybe I don't have any power. Maybe I'm in sin. Maybe I really don't know the Lord. Ooh, now I better sound real spiritual before he knows how unspiritual I really am. My faith broke down in about 15 seconds when I was praying for that shoulder. The problem was not my faith. The problem was I just didn't have any confidence in my faith, and I let it go in a few seconds. Some of you started this year off doing 15, 15, 70 in great faith, and it lasted about 15 days. You started the year off praying for that family member for every day, praying for that, the salvation of that family member every day. For, and then on the 10th day, calling them. Remember I instructed you to do that? Pray every day and on the 10th day, contact them. And after three 10th days, when they didn't respond to the gospel and their whole life changed, you didn't see the leaves wither. You said, well, this isn't working. My faith started to break down. My confidence started to break down. I started to feel like this is not working. This is not fruitful. And so instead of cursing the fruitless tree, I curse my faith and I call it fruitless. Instead of speaking over that tree of sin in the life of my family member who doesn't know Jesus and saying, you're going to die. You're going to stop eating from that fruitless tree. Instead of going into my prayer closet and speaking over my family member and saying, God, I cursed that fruitless tree in his life. He will never eat from it again. And it doesn't work in a few days. And I go, this faith thing is worthless. It's not doing anything. And what I'm really saying is I curse this fruitless faith and I will never eat from it again. Do you know that what you curse is cursed and what you bless is blessed. You got to believe that blessing and curse are in the power of the tongue. That when you speak a blessing, that person is blessed. And when you curse, that person is cursed. You have the power to either bless your faith in Christ or curse it. And often we're cursing the wrong thing. And it's funny when you curse your faith, it withers immediately. I mean, from the roots to the, to the leaves, immediately looking at your, wow, look at that. That was amazing. I mean, I don't believe for anything. <laughs> I just got discouraged yesterday and said, this faith thing doesn't work. And already I don't believe for anything anymore. Ama- how quickly I can command this mountain of my authority in Christ to be lifted up and cast into the sea of unbelief and it obeys me. I'm talking about enduring faith. 
You know what God is doing in this year? When we're talking about stewardship, faith must be stewarded. You will have no finances to steward if you don't have faith for those finances. You will have no salvations to steward if you don't steward the faith for those salvations. You got to keep believing that this year God is giving us a stewardship of souls and a stewardship of finances. That's what he promised us this year and he's going to do it. And he's cursing every fruitless tree that stands in the way of your harvest of salvation and your harvest of finances. He's cursing every fruitless tree. But you and I got to stand our ground before those trees that aren't bearing fruit and declare that those trees are dead. The moment the Lord cursed it, it died. They just didn't see the manifestation of it for 24 hours. The moment he cursed it, it died. Fruitless trees. Fruitless trees. Are you tired of eating from fruitless trees? Are you tired of... Because when you start eating from fruitless trees, you start to feel like this is all I got. This is all that's available to me. I know it'd be good to have figs, but when there's no figs, I got to eat me some leaves. I know it'd be good to have figs, but if there's no figs, I got to eat me some branches. I got to eat some bark here. I know it's good to have figs, but if there's no figs, and really when we stand and start eating from fruitless trees, we're accusing the father of not providing figs for us. I don't believe the father's going to provide me any figs. And so I got to just stand. And instead of cursing my fruitless trees, I'm trying to eat from them. In Ephesians, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, the scripture says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the, the pleasures of sin for a season. It says, By faith. By faith, Moses decided that the house of Pharaoh was a fruitless tree and I'm not eating from it anymore. Although from the outside in, he had it made. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had every pleasure you could imagine at his fingertips. He was royalty in the most affluent society in the ancient world at the time. He had it made, but when he became of age, it said when he grew up, When he grew out of his infancy, he didn't look at those pleasures anymore and say, I got it made. But he looked at it and said, it's a fruitless tree. When you're eating from a fruitless tree, you don't recognize it's a fruitless tree when you're living in spiritual immaturity. But when you grow up and come of age, you look at it and say, I refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Instead, I'm going to go out here and be a slave with the people of God. It said he esteemed the reproach of Christ as greater riches than the pleasures of Egypt. It's better to be figless in Christ than to be eating from a fruitless tree. You can't curse your fruitless tree while you're still enjoying eating from its leaves. When he became of age, it's time for us to grow up by faith, Moses, when he became of age. By faith, Moses, when he grew up. By faith. He was able to operate in faith when he grew up. His faith caused him to curse that fruitless tree when he grew up. And some of us have no authority and no power to curse the figless trees in our lives simply because we're living in a state of spiritual immaturity. We're living in a state of spiritual infancy where we can't tell the difference between right and wrong. And we're still looking at Pharaoh's household and saying, I want to live here forever. Shoot, go out there and suffer with the rest of the people of God. 
Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They ain't got nothing out there. Jesus says in Matthew 21, 20, 21, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what that was done to this fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. Same passage. Whoever says to this mountain, he says in Mark eleven twenty three, be removed and and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. Do you hear the emphatic nature of Jesus' words here? The repetition. Assuredly, I say to you, he says. First of all, he says, assuredly, I say to you. The word assuredly in the Greek is amen. He says, amen, I say to you. Amen. You typically say that after somebody says something you agree with, right? Jesus says it before. He says, I agree with what I'm about to say. What I'm saying, what I'm about to say is so real, so good, and so true that I got to say amen before I say it. I got to say, it's a prophetic amen. Jesus, when Jesus walks through and goes, amen, you go, what? What I'm about to say. <laughs> It was so good, I experienced it before I even said it. You know, when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, that's a double amen. Amen, amen, I say unto you. (laughs) Whoever says to this mountain. So first he says, you got to speak it. You know, one of the primary obstacles to believers walking in power is that you're afraid to speak it. You're afraid to say it. Why? Because I'm afraid that I'm going to be humiliated if I speak it. You know what? I'm going to say some ridiculous things. I'm going to say some outlandish things. I'm going to speak to stuff and and, and this is going to worry you. Oh, Lord, I hope pastor's right on this one. And if I miss it, I'm going to get up and speak again. Are you hearing me? I'm going to speak some stupid stuff. Jesus said, whoever says to this mountain, if you don't start speaking to your mountains out loud, and he spoke in the hearing of his disciples, meaning he didn't care who was around him. He says, no, 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 we're, we're going we're gonna to curse this thing. This thing's going to die. When I, was, <laughs> when I was serving a church in Los Angeles as a student at Fuller Seminary, a guy, one of my buddies, he walked up to me, he goes, Benjamin, I need you to pray for my brother. I said, why? He said, he doesn't know the Lord, and I really want him to be saved. I said, let's pray right now. I took his hands. I said, Father, I curse every work of darkness in this brother's brother's life. I curse every work of darkness. I I curse it in Jesus' name. I command it to wither and die. And I speak blessing over this brother, and I pray for salvation. So he calls me back two weeks later. He goes, Benjamin, my brother got saved. Can you believe it? He got saved on Sunday. He ran to the altar and gave his life to Jesus Christ. I said, oh, wonderful, awesome. So glad to hear it. So then all of a sudden, people start coming up to me at the church going, "Um, so I'm supposed to ask you to curse my brother. I said, what? What are you talking about? He said, yeah, so-and-so came to me, and, and I told him my brother wasn't saved. And, I, and he told me, just go get Benjamin to curse him. He cursed my brother, and my brother, you know, my brother got saved. You don't tell Benjamin to curse your brother. I said, no, you messed it up. I'm not cursing people. 
Whoever says to this mountain, you're trying to curse people. You know, when we're, when we're talking, oftentimes when we're talking about the mountains in our lives, we name them. I'm so sick and tired of that Shirley at the office. She's getting on my last nerve. I wish she would just get fired. So instead of commanding a mountain to be lifted up and cast in the sea, you're commanding a person to be lifted. There's there's about 10 people you could name right now that you wish would just be lifted up out of your life and cast into the sea. And even when Jesus rebuked people, he rebuked Satan, not people. When he rebuked Peter, he didn't say, Peter, I rebuke you. He didn't say, get thee behind me, Peter. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. He said, I'm separating you from what you just said. It was the work of Satan in your life. I'm rebuking Satan, not Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan, for you're a hindrance to me. Not get thee behind me, Peter. You don't realize that when you're speaking against Shirley, you're cursing Shirley. Too many of us are going to work going, get thee behind me, Shirley. Get thee behind me, Adolfo. Whatever. I think that was prophetic. Who here knows somebody named Adolfo? (laughs) Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, you know what drives me crazy is when it's time to pray and war and believers are whispering. Everybody, let's pray. Open your mouth. No, come on, pray out loud. You know when we're up there saying, pray out loud, you know what we're saying? Speak to your mountain. Let your voice be heard. But believers, we have such an inferiority complex about our words. You're walking down the street worshiping and people approach. We go, Lord, I give you my heart. You get close to people. They walk, I live for you. I don't want anybody to hear the world has lied to you and told you that your relationship with Christ is a private thing. It's only between you and God and you should hide it from everybody else. And so we're constantly, we love quiet time. Listen, we need to have some loud time. I remember I was a student at Fuller Seminary and they did a whole class on quiet time. And I lifted my hand in the class. I said, when are we going to talk about loud time? He said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm talking about when they lifted up their voice to God in one accord in Acts chapter 4. It says, then they lifted up their voice to God. When you lift up your voice, you're talking. It's not, you're not whispering. Didn't say, then they meditated corporately. Listen, if you're coming to an altar because there's a fig tree in your life that needs to be cursed, you need to open your mouth and curse it. You need to open your mouth and curse that thing. You know what? And when you, when somebody really gets free, I mean, when Jesus really comes and curses a fig tree in somebody's life, there's no shame. There's no inferiority about, there's no, I I had, I have a friend and, and he got, he got delivered from sexual perversion, homosexuality and male prostitution at 17 years of age. He had more than a hundred partners. And when the Lord delivered him, He jumped up from the altar and went and told everybody, the Lord delivered me from sexual perversion and male prostitution today. There was absolutely no shame. Why? Because that fig tree is dead. It was alive yesterday, but it's dead today. Why? Because the Lord spoke to it. You've got to have some boldness to speak to that thing. Are you hearing me today? So Jesus says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed And be cast into the sea. The the sea is deeper than the mountain is high. 
The sea is the only place where that mountain can be buried so that you don't see it anymore. See, what Jesus is at, what, what happens is we like to take our mountains and bury them in a pond. I still see it over there. It's sticking up out of the water. It got moved, but I can still see it. It's just a constant reminder of what used to be there. And it's like the mountain is looming in the background and is following you. And you're just looking at that mountain going, any minute it's coming back into my path. Jesus said, buried in the sea. You commanded to be buried in the sea. That is, you've got to get a vision for seeing the things that are now in front of you, not only being behind you, but being buried so that you never deal with them again. Remember the day Moses led Israel out of Egypt. The last thing he said to them before they crossed the Red Sea was this. The Egyptians which you see today, you will never see again. You'll never, he said, I want to prepare you for what God's about to do. The Egyptians, which you see today, you will never see again. Why? They got buried in the sea. They got buried in the sea. Why? Because the Israelites had become so accustomed to the bondage of Egypt. They had been there for 300 years. Now, how far back does that tree, how, how deep down does that tree grow? When you say, well, this goes back to when I was three. This goes back 300 years. Well, you expect me to get over it in a moment? It goes back to when I was three. You think the Lord could speak one word and I'm free? When I've been dealing with this since I was three? They were dealing with this for 300 years. And Moses says, this is the moment that God is bringing this thing to an end. And you will never see them again. It's over and done. This fig tree has been cursed. Come on, somebody. But then watch this. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart. But believes that those things which he says will be done. Do you see how emphatic and explicit and articulate the words of the Lord are? He, he is not, he's not leaving it up to the interpretation of his disciples. He's not giving them any room to meddle with it. He says, in case you don't understand, you have to speak to the mountain. Make a decision not to doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass. You know, the enemy knows that what he says doesn't mean anything, but what we say means everything. So he doesn't try to curse you. He tries to get you to curse yourself. Because he knows if he says it, it doesn't mean anything. But if you say it and don't doubt If you speak over your own life and say, I'll never amount to anything. And you say that in faith, believing and don't doubt, you will have what you say. You're that powerful. If you, if you, if you, if you register for a course at school and say, I don't know why I'm registering for this course. I'm probably going to fail it anyway. And don't doubt, but believe you will have what you say. You're that powerful. If you enter into a relationship and say, she's probably going to leave me anyway. I don't even know why. I'm... And don't doubt. You're that powerful. It's funny. We believe it on the negative side, but not on the positive side. If you face a mountain and say, I'm going through this thing. I don't care 
how many boulders I have to climb over. I don't care how rough the road is. I'm going through this thing. I will not be defeated. And don't doubt, but believe you will have what you say. If you say, I'm laying hold of the stewardship that God has promised us this year, there will be salvations in my family. I'm going to lead people to Christ this year. And don't doubt, you will have what you say. If you say, I'm going to lay hold of that stewardship of finances that God has promised us this year, I'm not letting go of it. And don't doubt, but believe that what you say will come to pass. You will have what you say. Now, I've got to qualify this because there's, there's this whole prosperity teaching. In the body of Christ. Now the first thing I want to say about the prosperity gospel. Is that I am not a constituent of the prosperity gospel. But I'm also not a constituent of the poverty gospel. Because what we've done is thrown out the prosperity gospel. And embraced poverty. As if it's a promise from God. But on the other side we got people in the prosperity gospel. That are speaking over new Mercedes. I declare I will drive a new Mercedes Benz. I declare, I just, I declare, I command this mountain of poverty to move out of my life so that I can enter into my 6,000 square foot home with the pool in the backyard, two Mercedes, I declare, two, two Mercedes Benz. In other words, the problem with the prosperity gospel is that it directs our faith to the things that Jesus said, don't give any thought to. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. All these things the Gentiles are seeking. So you know your faith is misdirected when it is, go- it is aimed at things that the Gentiles are seeking. But you seek first the kingdom. Now, when I'm seeking the kingdom and the finances to go with it, now my faith is aimed in the right place. If I say we're going to see, we're going to have all the resources to see a harvest of thousands of souls in the Bay Area, and I, I, I'm not going to flinch on that. Now, my faith is aimed in the right direction. If you say God's called me to do this, but the finances don't appear to be there, but I refuse to believe that God would call me and not provide for me. And so I'm going to walk towards my destiny in God. And now your faith is aimed in the right way. Your faith is to be aimed at the removal of the obstacles that stand in the way of you fulfilling what God has called you to fulfill and doing what God has called you to do. And when you are walking towards your divine destiny in God, every mountain will have to move from your path. Come on, somebody. And no, you don't have to be broke to do it. Just don't believe that. He has not called me to be broke. It's, it's in the book. I mean, read Psalm 112. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. His descendants are mighty in the land. I speak of my daughter every day. Say, you are mighty. You're going to be mighty in the, in the land. I speak over the sons and daughters of this house every day and say, my descendants are going to be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. We're just going to be blessed. Come on, somebody. We're just going to be blessed. You can't help but be blessed. You have to curse your blessing to miss it. And then it says, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. You know what? Wealth and riches are in my house. I don't know about you, but I'm going to stand on that promise, and I'm going to receive it. Wealth and riches are in my house. My righteousness endures forever. But am I focused on wealth and riches? Never. 
Wealth and riches are not my concern. Why? Because the scripture says, cast but a glance at riches and they take up wings and fly away. That's why I don't pray for money. My spiritual father commanded me, you are never to pray for money again. So I stopped praying for money at that very moment. Why? Because he said to pray for it, you've got to cast a glance at it. And if you cast a glance at it, it's going to take up wings and fly away. So every time you're praying for money, I just want you to see this. Jesus said, give no thought to it, just like he gave no thought to it after he cursed that fig tree. He cursed it, went on about his business. It's done. Listen, when it comes to my provision, it's done. It's done. I give no thought to it. Instead, I'm focused on seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added. I want to just, I want to just uh, bring this in for landing. And then he, he ends with this, verse 24. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. In the NIV, it says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. The believing comes before the receiving. We often think I'll believe it when I receive it. And it's the opposite. That's why you never receive nothing. Because you're waiting to receive it before you believe it. And Jesus said, believe that you have received it and you will have it. You've got to step out on a limb and believe for something that you don't have. Now, here's the key. Specifically, I want to refocus us on the harvest of souls in 2012. The harvest of souls in 2012 will require the stewardship of our faith. We've got to believe for salvations. Listen, every single person in this room has family members that don't know the Lord. And they haven't known the Lord for so long that you've just grew up believing that they're not going to know the Lord. And sometimes we talk about our family members who don't know Jesus like they're the most godless hoodlums that God ever placed on, on planet Earth. I don't even want to go to family functions because I'm around all these ungodly people. What I'm saying is I have absolutely no faith for them whatsoever. I don't believe Jesus loves them. I don't believe Jesus is with them. And I don't believe that his gospel will have any impact on their lives. But we have moments where we might believe for one family member for about 30 seconds. But we say a prayer and then drop it. And instead of walking away from the fig tree believing, we're walking away from our faith doubting. I want to refocus us on faith for the harvest of souls. Faith for the harvest of souls. We have begun to see a few people come to salvation this year. On Easter Sunday, we had 15 decisions for Christ. Last Sunday, we had six decisions for Christ. And I'm saying to you that that is not revival. And that is not the fulfillment of the promise. That's only the offshore breezes of it. That's the cloud the size of a man's hand. I'm telling you that everyone in this house is going to lead people to Christ this year. The promise God gave us is Isaiah 60, 22. The least among you will become a thousand. The smallest a mighty nation. You got to look in the mirror and see a thousand. You got to look in the mirror and see a mighty nation. You got to wake up in the morning. When you pray, listen, if you don't see a thousand, when you look in the mirror, your faith is too small. That's not even mustard seed faith. It's hard for most believers to look in the mirror and see one. It's hard to look in the mirror and even see yourself. Even believe for yourself. You're still hope, hoping 
You know, that whole people, I hear, talk, talk to somebody, how you doing? Oh, I'm just trying to stay saved, you know, just trying to make it into the kingdom. Listen, if you're spending your life trying to stay saved, trying to make it into the kingdom, you don't have any time to believe for anybody else because you're too busy believing for yourself. You got to look in the mirror and see a thousand. And it says the least of you will become a thousand, at least a thousand at least you got to look in the mirror and say, according to Isaiah 60, 22, I'm going to see a minimum of 1000 people come to Christ. And perhaps even a whole nation. You got to have that kind of faith. Come on, come on, come on, somebody wake up, take the pulse of the person sitting next to you. I'm talking to you this morning. I'm telling you that your faith has begun to wane. Your faith has begun to fall asleep, but I'm waking it up this morning. I'm bringing the word of the Lord that is waking up your faith. I don't care how godless your family members and friends are. I don't care if they curse God with their very mouths. I don't care if they scoff at you when they, when you walk in the room and they tell you that your life is a load of BS. I don't care. I don't care. I'm telling you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to break the back of sin and deception off of their lives. I'm saying that if you would begin to pray and every day begin to curse that fig tree of unbelief in their life, just begin to curse it, begin to command that mountain of unbelief to lift up and throw itself into the sea. I'm saying call out their names in prayer, call them on the phone and ask the Lord, give me words. And you know what? Here's the thing. I want you to know you don't always have to know what to say. When you talk to them, the main reason we don't reach out to our family members and share Christ with them is because we think we don't know what to say. I'm telling you a lot of times I don't know what to say. A lot of times I don't know what to say. You know what I do when I don't know what to say? I don't say nothing. And I pray. And sometimes two, three weeks later, the Lord tells me what to say. Then I call him back. You know, when we were talking three weeks ago, you asked me a question. I didn't have the answer then, but I got the answer now. See, we think, you know, what we really want is to sit down with the family member and have the wisdom of Christ. And just let the divine wisdom. And he said this, and then I said that. And everybody goes, ooh. Listen, what you say to God about your family members is much more powerful than what you say to your family members about God. Did you get that? You need to go into your prayer closet and call out their names and say some stuff to God about those family members. And you need to look past the Ishmael that you see on the outside and see the Jacob on the inside. The problem is when you talk to that family member, you're talking to Ishmael, but God has sent Ishmael away. You need to start speaking to Jacob. You need to speak to that mighty man or woman of God that's on the inside of that family member and say, I know you're feeling this way and acting this way now, but I'm telling you that there's a mighty man of God on the inside of you. There's a mighty woman of God. Listen, you got to speak blessing and not curse over the person. Yes, curse the sin, but not the person. And I'll end with this. My little brother, not Charles, but my brother Joshua started going crazy in high school. Decided he wanted to be a thug. You know, so he went out and got himself a thug uniform. Right? Went to Thug Academy and got his degree. Right? You know? And so, of course, my mother was distressed about it. And so my mother was praying night and day. And one day my mother got a word from the Lord. She came to me and said, Benjamin, the Lord said, you're the one. I said, what? The Lord said, you're the one who's going to reach your brother, Josh. And I said, now, wait a minute. I said, Josh doesn't like me. 
I walk in the room, he walks out of the room. She said, well, the Lord said, you're the one. So I took it seriously. I started reaching for him even harder. And all it did was push him away even more. Calling him on a cell phone. He would, you know, ignore immediately. If he was, I remember seeing his, him and his friends at a movie theater one time. And I talked to him in the, in the hallway of the movie theater. I said, hey, hey, how you doing? Hey. He goes, good, good. We got to go to the bathroom. We'll be right back. They walked off and never came back. Went out the exit of the building, out of the emergency exit or something, you know. I mean, he didn't want to be within a five-mile radius of me. And the harder I read, and I would try to take him aside and preach to him. And, you know what you're doing with your life is wrong. And the way you're living, you know better than this. We grew up better than this. Mom and dad taught us better. And it was, yeah, yeah, whatever. He just his clothes didn't do anything for him. I finally came to the end of my rope. And I said, God, I don't know how to do it. I can't do it. He doesn't even like me. I can't talk to him. How am I supposed to reach him? There's the problem. I thought I was supposed to reach him. What I realized is that when the Lord told my mother that I was the one, it meant I was the one he was going to use, not that I was the one who was going to do it. Let me just let you know a little secret. You can't save nobody. Here people say, we've got to save the world. No. We've got to be witnesses. And what, are we, what does a witness do? Bear testimony. When you stand up on a witness stand, what, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help me God, help you God. Yeah, I do. What did you see? I saw. All you have to do is bear witness to what you've seen and heard. No, no witness has to convince the jury. Just tell the truth. Be my witnesses, Jesus said. So I went to prayer. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And the Lord said, good. Stop preaching to him and just start loving him. Just show him love. That's all I want you to do is love him. So he came to me a couple days later. He was, hey, bro, you know, I'm, I'm in a tough space. Can I borrow $10? I'll pay you back next week. I said, no problem. Here you go. You can, you can have it. He goes, what? I said, you can have it. Said, no, 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 I'll pay you back next week. I said, no, 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 you can keep it. Now, see, here's the problem. Me and my brothers and Charles will tell you, if, if, if I loaned you $5, next week you're giving me, giving me back $6. And I'm adding a dollar a week. This is compound in, interest, right? We had, we did not, right? That was just not the way we did things. So when I gave my brother $10, he was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I said, no, you're my brother. You can have it. He goes, no, man, I'll pay you back. He's thinking, what, what are you doing? What are you scheming? So he took it, okay, thanks. Woke me up one morning, goes, hey, listen, man, uh, I'm late for work. I woke up late. I don't have time to take bus and BART. Do you think you can drive me? No problem. Let's go. I'll give you some gas money. Ah, forget the gas money. You're my brother. Really? Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. You know what happened? He stopped disliking me. <laughs> I don't say hate. He never hated me. But he disliked me. And all of a sudden, he liked me. It's hard not to like people who love you. you got a family member that doesn't want to be around you, maybe because they don't feel that you love them. Maybe when you're around, you always got a judgment or a scripture. Well, you know what the Bible says. 
It's funny we become Bible scholars around our unbelieving family members. We don't crack it anywhere else. <laughs> One night, <laughs> a couple months went by, just looking for every opportunity to show love to my brother. You know, the most powerful witness of the Lordship of Jesus Christ is you walking in non-judgmental holiness. This other thing, you know, people say, well, I just need to relate to unbelievers. So I'll go out and drink with them and maybe smoke with them and dance with them. And I just need them to know that Jesus is with them. And so I'm Jesus. I heard somebody say one time, well, Jesus would have drank with, with this guy if he was here. No, I don't believe he would have. I'm going to be just as holy as I can be before your face, but completely non-judgmentally. Non-judgmental holiness is extremely powerful. I was sharing the gospel with a guy one time, and he's smoking a cigarette. He goes, you don't mind if I smoke, do you? I said, no, not at all. He goes, well, why not? I thought Christians don't smoke. I said, well, I don't. Well, you, you don't mind if I smoke around you? I said, you're not me. Doesn't change. I'm not smoking just because you are. I said, you know, you know. Why are we why why are we why are we excited and surprised when sinners sin? They're sinners. You're supposed to sin. Curse around me all you want. I don't care. It's not who I am. If you give them freedom to be who they are, they'll give you freedom to be who you are. So anyway, one o'clock in the morning, the Lord woke me up and said, go into your brother's room. So I walk into his room. The Lord said, lay hands on his bed and pray. So I put my hands on his bed. I said, Father, I ask you to remove sleep from him on this bed until he gets his heart right with you. I pray you'd give him a stone for a pillow. I pray that you would trouble him and not give him any rest on this bed until he gets his heart right with you. I shouldn't have said on this bed. I should, should have said in general, but. He comes in at 3 a.m. He says, hey, Ben, wake me up tomorrow morning. I got to go to work. Wake me up at 8. I said, okay, no problem. So I set my alarm for 8. I wake up at 8, push the door open, and the door almost hits him in the head because he's laying on the floor. I said, what are you doing on the floor? He goes, I couldn't sleep in that bed. I laid down on that bed. I just tossed and turned and tossed and turned, and I couldn't sleep on that bed. He slept on the floor for two weeks. He showed up at a praise night I was doing in Castro Valley two weeks later in his thug uniform. Big old afro, hadn't shaved, hadn't showered, smelled like he had just won a marijuana smoking contest. <laughs> just came from a blunt off. <laughs> At the end of that service, he ran to the front, fell on his face before the Lord. Went home. Climbed in that bed, fell fast asleep. I had no idea that the Lord was going to orchestrate it that way. But here's the key. The Lord orchestrates it, not you. We're trying to orchestrate things when all Jesus is asking from us is that we be witnesses. But in order to be a witness, you've got to believe. You've got to believe and you've got to keep believing and you've got to stop doubting. You've got to believe. You've got to make a decision and the point at which you begin to doubt is the point at which you've surrendered your identity. Because we are believers. 
at the very core. And the moment we start doubting, we've surrendered our identity as believers. You want to know what the work of God is? Believe. You got to believe in the one he sent. You got to believe in the work that he did on the cross. You got to believe in the power of his resurrection. You got to believe in the power of his Holy Spirit. And you got to believe that greater is he who is in you than he was in the world. And you've got to believe that if you speak and don't doubt, you're going to have what you say. And if you command mountains of unbelief and sin to be lifted up and cast into the sea, they'll obey you. And you got to believe that you're going to have the stewardship and the harvest that God promised you this year. There will be a harvest of, of salvations and there will be a harvest harvest of finances this year, but you got to rise up and believe it. You got to rise up and believe it. And you got to act on that faith. You got to act like you believe it. You got to act like you believe it. You got to act like it's, it's, it's a done deal. When God speaks something, it's a done deal. When he cursed it, it died at the roots. I'm telling you, many of you here, your debt has already died at the roots. You just don't see it withered yet. The sin in the lives of your family members and friends has died at the roots. Some of your most unbelieving family members, their unbelief has died at the roots. You just don't see the the leaves wither yet. I'm telling you that those leaves are about to wither. I'm telling you the bark is about to fall off that tree. And that tree of unbelief and sin is about to wither and die. And you're going to see righteousness come where there was unrighteousness. You're going to see holiness come where there was sin. You're going to see faith come where there was doubt and unbelief. I'm saying that in this next season, we're going to see atheists turn to Christ. We're going to see agnostics turn to Christ. We're going to see anti-Christians turn to Christ. We're going to see people who have said to you before, I don't want anything to do with your God or your religion or your Jesus or your Bible. It's all a bunch of hogwash. We're going to see those people turn to Christ. We're going to see people coming out of the occult. We're going to see people coming out of witchcraft. We're going to see people coming out of outright out of demon possession and out of the grip of Satan. I'm saying that it's time to begin to believe for the people that you think are incorrigible. It's time to begin to believe for it. It's time to begin to believe for it. Come on, I'm calling your faith to wake up. Your faith has begun to slumber. It's time to wake it up again. That stewardship that God promised us, we will have it, but we'll have it as we steward our faith. You've got to steward your faith. You've got to make sure there's a harvest of faith and not a harvest of unbelief. You've got you to come into that stewardship of faith if you're going to have any other stewardship in your life. Every other stewardship breaks down at the place where your faith breaks down. But if you continue to bring in the harvest of faith, you continue to go out into that field of the word of God and bring in the harvest of faith. You'd see the thing about the field of the word of God is that it's always in full harvest. It's always in full harvest. There's always, when you go to the word of God, there's always a harvest of faith. You don't have to wait nine months for the harvest. The field is always white. The field is always white. The field is always white. Every time I open the pages of God's word, God's word, there's a harvest of faith. And he said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I can just begin to hear the word of God. Last night we were in Luke 4 where Jesus read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And it said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To open prison doors for those in bondage. And the opening of the eyes of the blind. And he said, this day the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, it's not just that it's fulfilled, but it's fulfilled in your hearing. When you start to hear that it's fulfilled, when you start to hear that the word of God is true, when you start to hear that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through us, the amen is spoken by the, for the glory of God. I'm saying that it's fulfilled in your hearing today. And when it's fulfilled in your hearing, it's fulfilled. When it's done, when you begin to hear that it's done, it's done. When you begin to hear it from the Lord and receive it, I'm saying that every day, our primary stewardship It's bringing in the harvest of faith from the Word of God. That field of the Word of God is white. 
It's white. It's white. And there's a harvest, but so often we let the harvest die on the vine. God is speaking so many things, but we're not gathering in a harvest of faith. I'm saying every time God speaks, he expects you to harvest faith from it. And he expects you to believe. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Give God a shout of praise. Lift your hands to the Lord right now. Father, release us into that harvest of faith. Release us into that harvest of faith. Come on, open your mouth and begin to speak to that mountain. Whatever that mountain is, open your mouth. Begin to talk to it. Don't whisper to it. Don't meditate over it. Begin to speak to that mountain. You're not just cursing fig trees. That's too small a thing. Jesus said, he who believes in me, the work that I do, will he do also. And greater works than these will he do. There's a greater harvest. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we command every mountain of unbelief, every mountain of debt, every mountain of poverty, every mountain of sin to be lifted up and cast into the sea. Come on, just begin to speak to that thing. I'm speaking the word of the Lord to you this morning. You gather in a harvest of faith. You just gather in a harvest of faith this morning. You gather in a harvest of faith. You're going to walk in faith. You're not going to doubt. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, take it to another level. Open your mouths. Open your mouths. Begin to declare it. Begin to declare it. That mountain is going to move. That mountain is going to move. I'm telling you that you're going to reach your unsaved family members and friends. They're going to come to faith. You're the one. The word of the Lord to you today is you're the one. You're the one. You're the one. You're the one. Hallelujah. 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 Father, I speak your blessing today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I speak your blessing over each and every one of the sons and daughters of this house. In Jesus' name, over everyone under the sound of my voice, I pray blessing. I pray strength. I pray encouragement. I pray peace. Father, strengthen our hearts. Strengthen our hearts. Strengthen our faith. Lord, where our faith has fallen asleep, wake it up this morning. Where our faith has begun to wane, wake it up this morning. Wake it up this morning. We're going to believe and not doubt. Expand, increase. Increase our faith. We give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name.